This is the All Sports Podcast devoted to your favorite teams in North Texas. Welcome to Ballsy, a production of the Dallas Morning News and Sports Day. Our weekly show is proudly hosted. Okay, strike that. Our show is hosted by Kevin Sherrington, Evan Grant, and myself. I'm David Moore, and who knows, maybe we'll have a special guest or two along the way. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the Dallas Cowboys. Catch other episodes by subscribing to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. We're also on social media. Just search Ballsy Podcast on Facebook and Twitter, and you'll be notified of the latest episode. Don't forget, it's Ballsy with a Z. Are you ready, sports fans? Ballsy starts now. Hello again, everybody, and welcome into Ballsy, the Dallas Morning News, DallasNews.com, and SportsDayDFW.com's award-winning uh, podcast. It's award-winning because today I, Evan Grant, have control of the microphone, assisted ably by David Moore. Kevin is ill. Which not, is not to be insensitive, but I feel like we've gotten rid of some excess baggage. Do you feel the same, Evan? <laughs> I, I don't want to make fun of the ill. He sounded very sick last night in his text. His text was... <laughs> those, those texts were very they, they sickly were and they pathetic, were, yes. When he said, uh, <laughs> you guys are on your own, good luck, I, uh, I kind of got a clue that uh, he wasn't doing very well. Uh, but you know who is doing well, David? What a segue. Oh, my segues are good. Your so Dallas good. Cowboys, Evan? Our Dallas Cowboys, David. Our little Dallas Cowboys, the whole town's Cowboys, uh, now in control of the NFC East. Um, a share of the lead, but it certainly feels like they're in. And they technically have the tiebreaker at this point, so that is why they're listed yes. as the division leaders. And Washington is last in everything. Yes. <laughs> if not at the current time, they will be before the season's done. Uh you know, we were together in Atlanta two weeks ago. We were, and uh, I still recall those moments fondly. They they were they were they were special moments for us all. Um, but I, I thought you picked up on something really significant: uh, how the NFC East kind of transformed in a matter of about ten minutes or so. And and yeah, that was happening during the course of that game right. because as the the Cowboys were, were taking control of that game and, and scoring. Uh, I thought they'd they'd been in control most of the game, but this was in the third quarter where they were going in for yet another score to put Atlanta in a very difficult position. While that was going on in the Washington game, they were taking Alex Smith off of the field because of what turned out to be a compound sp spiral fracture. And uh, again, it, not that there is any good fracture of the leg. And a compound fracture just by nature means that the bone comes out of the skin. Yep. But uh, he also had a spiral fracture, which is, which is a corkscrew fracture. So it's not just a diagonal or, or, or 90 degree slice of the bone. It, it actually unwinds through the bone like a corkscrew yep. where, the, where the break occurred. So just a, a horrific injury. Um, and, and Washington had dealt with a lot of injuries before that to key starters. Uh, they'd lost much of their receiving core, uh, several starters in their offensive line. And so, you know, the, I think a, a lot of the optimism with the Cowboys right now is not just the fact that they have won three consecutive games. 
it is the fact that Washington's lost its starting quarterback and was already uh, without many of its receivers, uh, top receiver playmakers, and um, and offensive linemen. Philadelphia continues to struggle; has not hit its stride. They actually started; they actually took only four cornerbacks to their game this last weekend, and three of them were undrafted free agents. Right. Um, so they're really beat up, especially in the secondary, uh, and and offensively have not come close to to replicating what they did last year. And the Giants, who have been at the bottom all year, um, just don't seem to get any. They've had a recent win streak, but had a chance to beat Philadelphia, uh, blew a 19-3 lead. They're really not a factor in this. So, um, you know, this is, as I like to say, this is a what we've seen in these last three weeks for the Cowboys has been a perfect storm, but not in a Mark Wahlberg movie sort of way. It's actually turned out good for them. Uh, those around them uh, are, are, are suffering misfortune, and, and they're playing their best ball of the season. And we saw how the Redskins' offense looked with Colt McCoy sure. last week against Dallas. Uh, didn't really do a whole lot for me. Not been uh, a good and, – and it's down. I, see, I believe it's ranked uh, 28th. Uh, in the league this year, in a league where everyone is talking about explosive offense, uh, Washington is at the other end of the spectrum, uh, and really everyone in this division is Dallas and Philadelphia are down there uh, after uh, twenty three, twenty four as well. The Cow- uh, the Cowboys at least, uh, I-, I would say this: the Cowboys and the Giants should have reason to not necessarily be so pass happy as so much of the sure. league is uh, with their running games. If they can seize control and play a little bit of defense, they don't have to have great offensive stats because they're controlling yeah. the clock and, and controlling the pace of the game. It's more about efficiency and controlling the pace of the game versus explosive offense with the, the way this Dallas team is constructed. But the, uh, the Cowboys do have some explosive capabilities now, now, and we're seeing that with Amari Cooper and, and how that's transpired. Yeah, and they've always had it with Ezekiel Elliott. The issue has been when you don't have a counterpoint that defenses have to focus on, they just go, well, we'll just keep Ezekiel Elliott from making explosive plays, and we'll see if any of these other guys can do it. And none of those other guys were able to do it before Amari Cooper got in here. The Saints won't stop anybody this week, will they? Well, Saints are pretty good defensively. Now, um, but they're good defensively in a lot of ways that Dallas was two years ago when Dallas was 13-3, and which is their offense is so explosive and gets ahead – uh, that it forces other op- offenses out of their comfort zone, and, and they get some turnovers. Yeah, and they get some turnovers right. because of it. You just abandon the run game because you're so far behind. You have to throw. Uh, you get a few more sacks as the game goes on. You get some turnovers, but but defensively, New Orleans is better. This is a more balanced New Orleans team than we've seen in quite a while. And. And as explosive as they are, they actually run 54% of the time. Right. Uh, they run more than they pass now. Uh, it was interesting, I think, just this, uh, yeah, just this last week that, um, that Drew Brees only threw for 181 yards, but there were four touchdowns in those yeah. 181 yards. And uh, it, it's not uncommon for uh, uh, Ingram and Kamara to, to combine each each. One will have 88 yards, the other will have 75 on the ground. Yeah, uh, they're, they're multidimensional. They're backs. doing that time in and time out. It's so, uh, and all the Cowboys this week say, say all you want about Mike Thomas and Drew Brees, and it's all valid, but 
if we don't stop the run, we're just not going to beat this team because they're predicated on the run. And so uh, this is a more complete New Orleans team than I think most people are accustomed to seeing. Well, I, I, you know, and I think the narrative that I just threw out there is the common narrative that, hey, they're explosive offensively. They, they can't stop anything. And they are still explosive. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that's just been because they have been so explosive. They've won with offense. But, but, but well, it's people- a valid narrative, too. I mean, they're averaging 37 points right. a game, which leads to the league. Uh, so you can't be – that, by definition, is explosive when you're averaging 37 points a game. As an example, Dallas is – is playing much better here lately, and they're not even getting to the 30s. Right. They're in the upper 20s, and, and now everyone feels good about this Dallas offense. So it, it tells you the, the high efficiency. And look, Drew Brees, I think, is right right at the moment completing about 76% of his passes. Uh, that would shatter the NFL record owned by Drew Brees of 72%. So, I mean, this is uh, – he's doing something – he's doing things that – no other quarterback in league history has done from an accuracy standpoint. I, and the only qualifier on that, I, I think, is the league is on pace as a, as a whole to sure. set a completion percentage uh, yes. success rate, right? Yeah, they're, they're it like is. 63%? Yeah, and, you know, you go back um, um, 62 to 65% would usually make you the NFL passing right. champion. It's uh, the league not, average. Not now. too long ago. Yeah, now if you're below 65%, it's, uh, well, this guy isn't accurate enough. Right. You know, uh, Dak Prescott for a lot of the season been at like 61, 62%, and people are saying he's just not accurate enough to be an NFL quarterback. So here, here's the question I have. We saw Cooper have a big game against the Redskins and, and mm-hmm. what that can do. Um, I don't think we saw Atlanta make a whole lot of defensive adjustments to the way teams had been playing the Cowboys. Did the did the did the Cowboys force the Redskins to make some of those defensive adjustments and and plan for Cooper a little bit more? And more importantly, does it now have an impact on how the Saints will play them on Thursday night? Yeah, and, and I think uh, when you look at what Cooper has done throughout his career, you've seen this. He's had some huge games, and this certainly falls in that category. And then, but he'll have two or three game stretches like he just had leading up to that, where he was effective, but not certainly not to the level of impact that he was in the Washington game but you have to you have to scheme him and guard against him as if he can have that 180 yard game because you saw how easily he can do it Absolutely. and and um look there you know everyone talks about well you got to scheme guys open and and that's been a big criticism of of uh, uh the offensive coaching staff here is like well they don't scheme guys open uh uh, Dak Prescott doesn't have a rapport with with Des Bryant. It's on him, and he seems to have a pretty quick rapport with Amari Cooper. And the reason he does is Amari Cooper runs outstanding routes, and he gets open. You don't have to scheme him open. You say run this route, and you know he's you, going to be where he's going to be, and and then that allows that gives you the latitude to work other people into the offense. And I. My belief is in the New Orleans game, I think you're still going to see them because he's so good at route running and, and there's been such a, a quick return on investment. You're going to see Amari Cooper get, you know, anywhere from four to seven catches a game, game in and game out. Right. I, I think they, the Cowboys offense would be remiss if they didn't do that. But that being said, I think there are going to be more games where you see he has four for 67 yards and maybe a touchdown. 
and that's the game Cole Beasley gets eight for 110, or well, that was uh, Michael my, Gallup gets three for 81. That was going to be my next question: was is this a prime opportunity for Cole to reemerge because the last two games, sure. the last really since since Amari got here, he's been very much a non-factor. I think it is. And I also think Michael Gallup is going to get a lot more single coverage. And, and uh, uh, last week, him coming off the, the tragic death of his brother, uh, you know, I don't think you saw him at his best. He didn't practice that week. He's had a full week of practice now. Um, they were very excited about having Michael Gallup on the other side of Cooper. And once Cooper was established, what that would open up over there. Right. Once you've uh, got a legit one number one, sure. and then you've got the slot receiver in Beasley, now all of a sudden your your number two wide receiver becomes that much more viable. And that happens a lot when when you don't have a number one and and you don't have anyone in that role. You can say you can do it by committee, but when things break down, who do you go to? You haven't established anyone. Now when things break down, you know well you know what things aren't working. We got to get it to Cooper here. And Same as it is in any sport. If you exactly. don't have a number one, you know, if yeah. you're doing something by committee, Same the pitching staff, you yeah. don't have. It's because you don't have a number one, not because you're better exactly. off that way. No, you're not. And and as soon as you have that, you see how well everyone fits their roles, and you have a greater appreciation for what they can do. The problem is you were putting a lot of receivers in roles that they couldn't succeed in, or not succeed in enough for your offense to be successful. Now Cooper allows you, gives you that order, and things just work. Look, it, it, it's no coincidence that before Amari Cooper got here, the Cowboys on third down conversions, I believe, were 28th or 29th in the league, down around 32 to 34%. Since he's been here, they're right. They're about forty nine and a half percent on third down conversions, and they rank in the top five in the league. That that is the threat that Cooper brings, whether or not he's the one who actually picks up the first down or not. Well, and I'd, I'd bet that because it loosens up the running game a little bit more, and sure. Zeke is able to. You're you're in. You're also seeing more third and short situations where you've got yeah. multiple ways that you can go about converting the play. Yeah, you're not seeing as many third and six and third and right. sevens. You're seeing more third and twos and third and threes. I want to go back to Michael Gallup for a second because I, he's been a guy that I've, I've kind of um, I really liked all season. I thought that you know when the Cowboys had uh, issues at, at the receiver core, he showed something with the ability mm-hmm. to go up and get some contested balls. He did. Um, and, and then the tragedy that we, we all kind of found out about at, at the end of the Atlanta game uh, was just awful, and um, it, it obviously had been a rough week. I, I was just I, – I think if anything stood out to me uh, on, on Thursday, it was just the fact that he was out there playing. Um, we saw some some video of, of Jason Garrett presenting the game ball to Michael Gallup afterwards. I just want to get your feel from being around the, this team. Uh, what was their response to how Michael – kind of dealt with with this tragedy and, and, and still performed. Yeah, and he's been here much shorter length of time than, than a lot of players, and, and that would factor into it. But uh, he's generally well-liked in the locker room. He, he's very professional. He, he defers to his, you know, elders. He's, he's learning. He, when he makes mistakes, he doesn't – he acknowledges it, and he, and he works very hard to overcome them. And uh, – uh, just really well liked in the locker room, and um, 
not that not that the team wouldn't rally around any player in that situation, but I, but I think a, a young guy in his rookie season, and, and and the other thing to to remember too is just the juxtaposition here. He made a key catch on third down at the end of that uh, Atlanta game that that allowed them to win the game, uh, that that put them in position to to get the the game winning kick and. Uh, that was a big play by him, and arguably the the biggest play of his career up to that point because it came in a game they had to win. He made it, uh, and then they win the game shortly after that, due in large fact to the play he made. So he was ecstatic coming off the field, and this is you know this is where young players grow, and this is where you grow as a team when young players make these plays. And you, you celebrate with the veterans and the whole team. And, and they were celebrating as they were coming in, and he feels great. And then suddenly he's motioned to go over to a side room, and he sees his sister there who wasn't supposed to be at the game. And his sister tells him that his brother had committed suicide the night before. And uh, from my understanding, and, and understandably so, was was just inconsolable uh, in that moment. And, and we – Talked to him a, a, a few days ago. He, he talked for the first time since then, and that was on a Sunday, this past Sunday. And um, asked him just, "Have you ever, have you ever had that uh, wild swing of emotions in your life to be so excited about something you had just accomplished athletically, and then just to have?" completely ripped away from you and and just your you know your emotional world come tumbling down and uh he started tearing up just recalling what he was remembering in that in that two or three minutes uh and um he said that he uh he cried there with his sister and and, and they live about an hour outside of atlanta and then they got in the car and drove back home and he cried all the way home he just couldn't stop um yeah, I, I just can't imagine. No. Uh, I, I, and the Cowboys, again, very supportive. Jerry Jones gave him his private use of his private jet uh, because the, the other part of the story was his mother was on a missionary trip in Africa. She didn't know the news, and that's why um, there were people who knew what were going on but respected that the mother should uh, hear it from the family first, if at all possible. Right. Um, unfortunately, in today's media world, that did not occur. Right. Uh, she actually, found, my understanding is she found out about it when in Amsterdam in a layover on Twitter where, where someone randomly mentioned it um, and then had to, you know, wonder about that. It just said, like, hey, brother, it didn't say which one. So then she's, right. you know, so, uh, so the way she found out was through social media and she couldn't even confirm immediately which one of her sons it was because they have an extended family. And, uh, but anyway, uh, she got home, but, but so Michael Gallup stayed back, um, and, and they went, that was the Sunday to Thursday game. So Jerry Jones sent his private jet, uh, to Georgia. Uh, Michael Gallup flew in, uh, Tuesday night, went, met with the coaching staff on Tuesday night, went through a short practice on Wednesday, played on Thursday, uh, they gave him the game ball, um, and then he flew back, used Jerry's plane to fly back right after that to for the, uh, the the funeral, not the funeral, but the, the celebration of life ceremony 
was on Friday. So, uh, uh, you know, Jerry Jones, for, for everything that people say about Jerry Jones, he's always consistently and genuinely always been supportive of his players and, and, and all employees in situations like this. Was again, and, and the players uh, just seeing them, you know, give the game ball and Jason Garrett give the game ball to, to Michael Gallup in the video that the club released after that. Uh, I, I thought was really touching and showed about how close this team is. Uh, yeah, it, it was. And, and I think that something else that came out in that video again is you, you see the way the, the, the team um, physically responds to, to Jason Garrett. And uh, he's often been, a, as as is regularly the case with an NFL head coach in any town, he's a polarizing figure. Sure. Um, you love him or hate him unless you're in New England, and then everybody loves Bill Belichick. Um, and the rest of the country hates him. So that's yes, yeah. Uh, but um, uh, this team does. That video showed they, the disconnect to me on on the on the feeling that fans have of Jason Garrett and the perception versus what in house the the perception is. I, I thought it was a, a very uh, dramatic look at the difference. And look, Jason brings it on himself because right. he. Uh, uh, he he purposely says uh, absolutely nothing to the media and by extension to the fans, so he does not uh, come across on a on a warm basis by any means. I, but I would still say NFL all this is driven by yeah, true. What NFL coach does? Uh, there are a few, you know, Bruce Pete Arians. I think did you know Bruce Arians, who now may resurface again in, in right. Cleveland. Uh, Pete Carroll does. Uh, you have exceptions. You know, I think Harbaugh in Baltimore did to a point. Uh, but also I will say, too, coaches become much more embraceable if they've won right. a Super Bowl. Then even if they're gruff, they're they're an adorable gruff. <laughs> you know, it's – you know what I mean? And that's what Belichick has done. But right. Belichick, there's no – there is nothing that draws you toward Belichick and go, hey, I really want to spend some time with this guy. I really like this guy. Right. He really – I find him engaging. No one does that. No, they, New England loves him because he wins. Sure. Um, and, and they find it amusing now the whole act, which right. isn't an act. That's what his personality is. And so um, fans just need to be more honest with themselves, uh, in, in my mind, especially with the NFL, that their perception of of a coach – almost always is tied into whether he has enough success for them or not. And, Absolutely. And that is why uh, Jason Garrett is mocked and derided the way he is for the clapping, for the utility belt, for all of this, because uh, one on one level it's funny, but two, a lot of it is fans are frustrated that he's been here now eight years and they've only won one playoff game, and they blame him for a bland offense. Nobody and they blame him for, yeah. The clapping would not be an issue for anybody if this team was a regular playoff participant. No, and, and not at all. Um, not at all. I, you know, I've made plenty of. You jokes would make fun about, of it. You would mock. You you'd make fun of, but it wouldn't be. But this goes beyond just mocking and derision. It's now become an indictment of him. I, the, the, I think. Look, the belt and the clapping. I think are all jokes. I think we're we're fans, and and I think even we're we're members of the media who aren't you know involved on a day to day basis covering the team and don't see any interaction. You know, you, you try and read bodies and you try and read mm -hmm. statements, and I mean, Jason comes across as as robotic. Sure. Um, 
and, and I think— It's just a persona he's constructed for himself in right. public, and so he has to deal with the fallout. Right. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it, it, it's not like anybody's making excuses for him. No. No, no, no. You build that, you build that personality, and every coach has— Every coach or manager has their own way that they're gonna sure. they're gonna deal with it. Uh, you know, Joe Madden in Chicago uh, will talk more and will just be basically mm-hmm. the life of the party, turn everything into a cocktail party, and it it deflects over over here. Um, Jeff Bannister was would get very I don't want to say defensive, but he would he'd debate you for a long mm-hmm. for a long period of time to try and prove his point. Everybody has different ways that they deal with it. Belichick obviously can say whatever he wants to say because he's won yeah. a million Super Bowls. And I think all of the, the main thing is you have to be true to your personality because guys will figure you out pretty quickly. And if they believe you're hypocritical, that's the that's the quickest way to lose a locker room. And I think it's very telling. You couldn't watch that video uh, coming off of that game uh, when they presented the game ball to Michael Gallup uh, and, and think that anyone in that locker room found Jason Garrett to be disingenuous or, or hypocritical. They, they, uh, if anything, he's more hypocritical with us. I, I've always maintained that the, the players uh, and everyone in the football department, they know exactly who Jason Garrett is, and they see who the real Jason Garrett is in his interactions. He is too guarded and cautious to allow himself to project that publicly because he's made the determination – that if he showed who he really is publicly, all it can do over time is hurt him and the team and his relationships with the team, not help. And so that's why he's going to – he won't allow that veneer to crack. He and, just and, won't. And I would say, look, you can make criticisms of Jason that he's been too cautious and guarded sure. in play calling and scheming yes, as well. And that's part of his personality. But and there's a is. difference – yeah, there's a difference there in being guarded – publicly and being guarded in strategy and how you relate and your relationships with the team. And this is something that even, even in hard knocks, you know, even those, those, those teams that have gone on hard knocks, you see what HBO wants you to see. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't see what is the real fabric of a team. And and I I do think when you clearly it's a good minute because the Cowboys have just won, they've won their third Mm -hmm. straight game. Everybody feels good about being able to do something nice for Michael Gallup. But I do think that there is a sense this guy would not be here in his – this is his ninth year or eighth year? Yeah. Ninth oh. year. Would not be in his ninth year, regardless of how much Jerry may control the the purse strings uh, or if you want to call them puppet strings, whatever. He would not be here in his ninth year if he didn't have a way to relate with the team. With, no with question. Players. And and. That's the one thing I think we can all be certain of. No question. Yeah. All right, we're going to move out of here, but before we get before we get out of Cowboy Talk, I just want to yes. – there's a very strong possibility that this three-game winning streak comes to an end because they're playing – Very what, strong. A team they hadn't lost since opening day. Right, and, and, and I think you could make the argument right now that the Saints are the best team in the NFC ahead of the Rams at this point. At least an argument, sure. Um, could the Cowboys' momentum be – destroyed by a loss on Thursday night? The only way I see it being destroyed is if they beat, and the game is at AT&T Stadium, if they beat Dallas 41-7, to uh, if they beat them 38-10 to along those lines, which New Orleans is capable of doing right. to anybody, then I think 
Dallas steps back and goes, well, yeah, we really like our defense, but this was the best offensive team in the league, and look what they just did to us. And you know what? We started to feel good about ourselves offensively, but we only got 10 points. We only got, you know, whatever at home. So I think in that respect, it could be damaging. Um, but but if they play and things, the- things also then ramp up a little bit more too pressure wise if the Eagles beat Washington this week. Well, if then then you have three teams tied at six and six going into the final four games, mm-hmm. and Philadelphia comes in here uh, a week from Sunday, and Philadelphia has won four of its last five games against the Cowboys at AT and T Stadium. So look, I don't think anyone three weeks ago when the Cowboys were three and five, no one expected them to be in control of the division three weeks later. Right. Now everyone's assuming, oh, they've got the division wrapped up. Yeah, let's, let's make a clear, a clear border here. And border is such a bad yeah, word. It, that's may, may, yeah, maybe that, <laughs> <laughs> that draws in another audience. Maybe we don't want to. Let's, let's use a clear line of demarcation here between the idea of controlling the yeah. division and commanding the division yeah. because the Cowboys do control their destiny here. They do have some momentum. And they should be favored at the moment. Yes. At the moment. But, but they don't by any have it wrapped up. No, and go back three weeks ago, go back two weeks ago for that matter, were they favored to win the division? No. So just as quickly as it changed now where they're favored to win the division, in two weeks here, if they lose to New Orleans and Philadelphia comes in and beats them, they will be one game under five hundred. They will be at least one game back in the division and lose out on the tiebreakers at that time with Philadelphia. So, in essence, we'll be two games behind in the division with three to play. And then how are, are fans going to be feeling about where this team is? So, just as quickly as it turned in their favor, it can turn against them here. So, uh, they have not accomplished anything yet. And uh, uh, I will say this, though. We keep talking about them in, in – in the light of losing the New Orleans game, which I think they should, the game should be discussed in that light because right. that is the expectation going in. But Dallas is capable of winning this game, and if Dallas did win this game, what a tremendous boost to their status and what they can do for the remainder of the season right. and the postseason this is. Now suddenly they're not just a team that, oh, well, yeah, you win a weak division and how long are you going to hang around in the playoffs? If somehow they're able to beat New Orleans, the expectations ramp up even more. And it's like, well, hey, maybe this team, for the first time in a long time, is getting hot at the right time. And they're still maybe an outsider to, 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 to make noise in the playoffs. But maybe, you know, maybe there's something here. Maybe we'll see. So it's a, it, this game can a win. Uh, could have a huge impact, I think, on this team and their confidence. I think a win would have a bigger impact on this team than a loss would. Again, it depends on the loss. If it's a if it's a non-competitive loss, I think that's going to have a big impact on this yeah. team. If it's a uh, if it's a loss where they just made a few mistakes here and there, and 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 you can truthfully see a path to well we should have won this game that we can play with the we can play with the saints if you can come away from that saying you can play with the saints we're not quite good enough right now but we're close enough we're over these final four weeks of the regular season we can be there with them yeah Yeah, if you have that sort of game i think but give us six weeks to get ready for them again and uh 
but a win, I think, would go, hey, we've got things exactly where we where we want it now. Right. And, and again, you still had follow with that win over Philadelphia the next week, sure. but. But, you know, Philadelphia, even if Philadelphia wins this week, they've still got Cowboys here in Dallas. They've got the Rams. They have the Rams LA, and Houston. And then yeah. they play Houston. So they've got a really Philadelphia, tough, 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 tough schedule. Yeah. Washington does not. Uh, of the of the three teams that have a chance to win the division, Washington has the easiest schedule. Uh, but I also say I think in a lot of ways that the toughest because they have to play Philadelphia twice uh, with a backup quarterback and, and really skilled players losing by the week um philadelphia has far and away the toughest schedule the cowboys are, are somewhere in between and just for for posterity's sake while the cowboys are playing the giants and a team that may very well be just looking at the future in the final week of the season the eagles and giant and redskins will be squaring off at fedex field so yeah yeah the, the, the eagles this is a this is a stretch of three consecutive division games for the eagles the only way the eagles have a chance to get back and defend their title is winning all three of these division games much like dallas just came out of a stretch where if it didn't win three straight games it was really putting itself in a bind so now philadelphia finds itself in the same place Dallas was when Dallas won in Philly. So, all right. Well, that's going to wrap up Cowboys talk for this morning. Uh, as usual, without Kevin here, it went very smoothly. Um, there was no tension. A lot of good give and take. There was actually a conversation. Yeah, it was very conversation. Oh, d- did you see what I wrote the other day, though? Do you want to talk <laughs> about that? All right, Kevin. If you're listening at home, that was our you- homage, our loving homage to that's Kevin right. Sherrington. We hope you feel better. Um, and if you need a binky or something, call us and we'll pick you something up at the drugstore. Vitamin C. There you go. All right, so uh, that's it. And uh, so long, everybody. We'll be back with a Rangers podcast. Thanks for listening to the Cowboys Ballsy Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our weekly episodes on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search the Ballsy with a Z podcast. Until next time, sports fans, we'll see you.